So, we have so far done this, haven't we? Our Father in the heavens, let your name be honoured. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day the bread we need. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I even had to run a marathon to escape from doing that one. Thanks, Mick. (laughs) And today we move on to this phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we have prayed in this prayer for provision, for God to give us our daily bread, for his pardon, that he might forgive us as we forgive others. And now we move on to praying for protection. A few years ago, a psychologist conducted an interesting experiment to determine how human beings respond to temptation. A psychologist would leave a small child, aged about four to five, alone in a room with one marshmallow on the table in front of them. Before he left, the tester would say to the child, I'm going to leave the room for a few minutes. Uh, As you can see, there's one marshmallow in front of you. That's yours. You can eat it if you want to. But if you don't, if you wait, you can have two marshmallows when I get back. Well, some children did really, really well, but most of them could just not resist the urge to gobble up that little white or pink cube of soft, mushy sweetness. I don't know if I'll get to the end of the sermon, you know. We struggle, don't we? Learning the value of delayed gratification. If there is a bag of marshmallows open in our house, even hidden in the top of the cupboard, on the right-hand side, currently above the kettle, not for much longer. (laughs) When you go back to it, often some have magically disappeared. It's hard, isn't it, to delay gratification. And the truth is, no matter what our age, we all struggle with some form of self-control, don't we? All of us have our own marshmallows in life. All of us have those temptations that we have a tough time withstanding. I saw this uh, car sticker and uh, it amused me. Leave me not into temptation, I can find the way myself. (laughs) Well, it's true, isn't it? We have no problem finding things that entice us to do the things that we shouldn't do. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, If you think you are beyond the reach of temptation, be careful, because temptation is common to man, to all of us. If we think that we are not susceptible, then we've got something wrong. Because all of us are. All of us need to be alert. All of us need to be aware that we are susceptible to temptation. 
that applies as much to the monk in his cell as to the businessman in the hotel. In the early days of the church, monks took themselves away from their monasteries because they felt that it would, they would become more spiritual. They used to put themselves into caves in the desert. And if you read their writings, they are full of the temptations of an onslaughts that they face in the privacy of their own space, in their own heads. They were just as powerful as the temptations they faced in community and in the world. We are all susceptible to temptation. So the question is, what tempts you most? What is your marshmallow? What is your marshmallow? <laughs> You're right, Ella? Right. Is it that food that you can get with a hole in the middle, with icing or sugar sprinkled on the top, or chocolate that routinely comes in boxes with the words Krispy Kreme around the outside? Is it that? Is it the letters S-A-L-E <laughs> on certain shops in particular? Is it an adult site on the internet? Or flirting with a co-worker? Is it a bottle of alcohol? Or maybe it's the joy of passing judgment on other marshmallow eaters. What is your marshmallow? What is your temptation? And it brings us, doesn't it, to this really significant prayer phrase, lead us not into temptation. One way for us to confront the struggles that we all have with temptation, lead us not into temptation. But in that passage that Beth read to us from Luke, it says that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert to be tempted, doesn't it? And in James chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So, is there a conflict there? Is there a contradiction? It's a bit confusing, isn't it? We're praying for God not to lead us into temptation. Then it says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus to be tempted. And it says, well, God won't. Why would we ask God not to do something that his word already says that he doesn't do? It's a bit confusing, isn't it? Thank you. <laughs> Are you ready for a little Greek lesson? Thank you. It's only a little Greek lesson. Truthfully, it is. Well, the question we have to ask, I guess, is this one. What's in a word? Because the word that we're using here, or we're not using, but is used in the original, is the word pyrasmos. And uh, we translate it in this particular bit as temptation. But uh, it can also mean testing or trial. So if we go back to that passage in James for a minute. At the beginning in chapter 1 and verse 2, it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, pyrasmus, 
because you know that the testing, same word of your faith, develops perseverance. Then later on in verse 13, when tempted, pyrasmos, same word, no one should say, God is tempting me. It's the same, the same word used in different translations, in different contexts, because translation always depends at least partially on the context. Let me give you an example from English, because that's enough Greek, isn't it, for one morning. We're going to use the word bag, okay? And a hunter might say this, I bagged the squirrel that was up in that tree. He fell to the ground and I put him in a bag. I sure hope my wife Gertrude isn't upset with me. She can be a bit of an old bag. (laughs) Why, I can see the puffy red bags under her eyes already. Oh, here she comes. I suppose it's too late to hide the squirrel because the cat's already out of the... You see? It's all about the context that helps us understand the meaning. Temptation, testing, trial. But in reality, you know, those two things are often very closely linked together. Often in the times when we face the greatest trials and tests that we are most tempted to do the wrong thing. So, and I've promised I won't go on about this. But last Sunday morning, I was fine-ish till about mile 15. And, uh, and actually quite optimistic, quite thinking that I might do well, which I hadn't thought at all up until that point. And then at mile 15, I, I, I stopped. From, I didn't stop, stop, I just stopped running. And I walked. And then I put my leg down to start again, and it was like some kind of wet spaghetti with electric shock treatment, which I don't recommend, by the way. And I just thought, oh no, still 11.2 miles to go. I can't do do this. So I kind of got into that walk a bit, run a bit, chat a bit thing. It's called interval training. (laughs) But it... It was a bit lonely. You know, more people weren't with me than were with me. And there were bits that I was just on my own. And, and I could feel my mind going, drum, 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 drum. I can't do this. It hurts too much. I don't want to do this anymore. I really want to knock that person off their bike and steal it. That was probably the worst point. <laughs> it's in the time of test that we're tempted most whether it's just to become a bit negative and self-defeating or something more than that. It's the test of filling in our tax returns that tempts us to lie, to make the result different. It's when we sit exams, and, and all of us have been through that, the reason that we have invigilators and exams is not just so someone says, Turn over the paper and write your name on the top. It's because we're tempted to cheat. Because we're being tested. We want to do better than perhaps we think we can. It's in the tough times in our marriages which all of us face where we're tempted to find comfort elsewhere, isn't it? In the testing times that temptation comes. It's with the onslaught of different stuff in our lives and you can wrap that up in whichever way you want to for yourself, that we are tempted to be negative, to doubt God, to be angry, to become stubborn. 
testing and tempting are very closely linked together. And our response is what changes us. So in the trials and the testings, our prayer is lead us not into temptation. God takes us to testing, but will we fall into temptation? Jesus is teaching us to respond to the trials of life in ways which further his kingdom, ways which delight our Father in heaven rather than ways which succumb to the temptation to sin. Maybe an extended prayer that we might pray is this. Just didn't fit in Jesus' pattern of prayer at this point. Abba, I'm too weak on my own. I need your help when I encounter trials or I'm sure to yield to sinful shortcuts. Abba, please protect me from the temptations I encounter in my life so don't blow it. Empower me in ways that display your glory. Because that's something of what Jesus is teaching us to pray. The message version of the Lord's Prayer at this point says this, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. And to be honest, we do need to be kept safe from ourselves as much as the devil, don't we, in those kind of situations. But the exciting truth is that our Father can use those kind of times, can't he? Anyone want a marshmallow? (laughs) Our Father can use those kind of times. Our Father has the wisdom and power to take the trials and tribulations that come to us, the tough times that Satan loves to use as his tools, and he uses them for his purposes. Let me give you a few examples. There's Sarah and Abraham, and God says, To them in their old age, you're going to have a son and your descendants are going to be as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Well, when you're 90, that's a little hard to believe. And as they waited, they found it harder and harder to believe. And Sarah eventually says, look, this isn't working. Let's take a different option. It could have been the end of the road there, couldn't it? But God is able to work in the testing and the trials and even the failure, even the harm for his purposes. And the story of Joseph perhaps says that more than any other. Joseph, sold by his brothers into slavery, taken to a foreign land, put as a slave in Potiphar's house, faces temptation, resists temptation. So he's thrown into prison, forgotten about, nobody. But God works in his resilience, in his resistance to temptation and to testing and raises him up to be prime minister of the land and to save people. Moses, rescued by God, grew up in Pharaoh's palace and then murdered somebody, trying to work things out his own way. God takes him off into the desert for 40 years, uses that time to humble him, to prepare him, to get him ready to serve God and to lead the people. Paul, causing uproar in the world, thrown into prison. Well, that'll stop him, won't it? But it doesn't, does it? Because he just witnesses to the people who are around him and they all get converted. And then he writes lots of letters. And then we've still got them. So that didn't work out, did it? And even Jesus, 
And Satan really thought he got this one sorted, didn't he? We'll get him put before a Roman governor. We'll get him tortured. We'll get him nailed to a cross. He'll be dead. He is dead. We'll put him in a tomb with a massive stone in front of it. We'll leave him for three days. He's really dead. And all the time that Satan thought he was defeating heaven, he was actually serving heaven's purposes. Because Satan's, sorry, God's sovereignty extends even over Satan's plans. God takes us in these places of testing and trial and temptation. And sometimes we even fail, but God is bigger than that. And he takes those things and he weaves them into his purposes for our lives because he has that level of wisdom and power to do that. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. Or some translations say, deliver us from the evil one. It doesn't really matter I wonder what was in the mind of the first century Jews when they heard Jesus say that this was part of the prayer, deliver us from evil. Because there they were standing with Jesus in a land occupied by Romans. When they heard him say, deliver us from evil, I think their mind said, deliver us from the Romans, deliver us from the oppressors, deliver us from taxation, deliver us from violence, deliver us from the threat to our faith. Deliver us from evil. And if you are a follower of Jesus in Iraq today and you read those words, deliver us from evil, surely you too think, deliver us from Al-Qaeda. Deliver us from militants. Deliver us from IS. Deliver us from threats to our faith. Deliver us from trafficking. Deliver us from gang crime that pervades our cities and some nations to the core. From violence. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. What are we praying here? Deliver us from evil. Is it some kind of nebulous thing? Is it just a presence? Is it a power? Or is it deliver us from the evil one, a person, the person behind all that damages this beautiful world that God has made, that damages human beings made in the image of God? Deliver us from evil. Speaks in the New Testament about evil, being engaged with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I think that's really helpful as we pray this prayer to think of those three things. We have evil in the world, don't we? Evil worldviews, evil behaviour, evil attitudes, oppression, slavery, injustice, poverty, racism, abuse of women. We have evil in our world, don't we? Deliver us from evil. And we can pray that 
And God at times intervenes in miraculous ways, but it seems to me that the antidote to those things is the value of consistent discipleship. That as we put ourselves under the authority of the Lord and his word, as we day by day are conformed to him, to Christ and to his values, the result of that is that we are delivered from evil. That as I change, things change. As we are consistently followers of Christ wherever we are, things change. Why is it that Lara is heading up a charity for uh, the, the survivors of human trafficking? Why has she given up, in effect, a first-class career, actually, to do that? Hours and hours of, of trauma to lead that with other people who share that vision. It's because she prays this prayer, deliver us from evil, from that reality in our world. Why is it that Phil and Helen this morning have gone to the Calais jungle? It's because actually in that place is evidence of evil and actually they are in there with many others who have been consistently there to show care and compassion and the grace and love of Jesus in that place. There are thousands of children at risk of being trafficked in this next week or two as that camp is broken down. Why are world religious leaders of, of multi-faith standing up and saying, something must change because deliver us from evil because we see that in the world, in the views that we have in the world, in oppression, in justice, in poverty. We see that, deliver us from evil, but our discipleship, our following after Jesus wherever he leads us, is what changes that. But it's also the flesh. It's also the flesh. It's what's in our own hearts. It's naming the sin that's in our own hearts. Let me read to you just a brief paragraph from this book. He says this, The most insidious and lethal expression of evil, however, lies not in foreign ideologies, tyrannical regimes, or demonic forces in distant places, but within our own hearts. We hesitate to admit it, but we must. Our hearts harbour the very evil we despise the most. And it's true, isn't it? We see it inside ourselves, and not as infrequently as we'd like. Anger. Lust, jealousy, greed, pride, bitterness, indifference, a critical spirit. We see those things inside ourselves. Those people who are doing all this evil that we despise, they're people like us, you know. And naming those things allows us to find God's strength to change. It allows him to forgive us. It allows that deliverance from evil. It allows forgiveness and freedom. And since power is in secrecy, isn't it? It's in pretending. It's in hiding. And as we name things and we put them into the light of Christ... It's amazing how they dissipate and are transformed by him. Because where he is, no darkness can be, can it? But there is also the devil. 
the evil one who's behind it all. There are people that don't believe that the devil exists. I struggle with that when I look around me. He was. He was with Jesus, tempting him in the desert. He was at the beginning, tempting Adam and Eve to walk away from all the good that God had promised to them. He is still at work behind all evil that we see, but he will not always be. He will not always be. His time is limited, but he is behind it all now. And Paul reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so whatever we may experience of the world and the flesh, our battle is with someone who is behind it all as well. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Paul says the reason the Son of God was revealed was to destroy the works of the evil one. This is a powerful, life-transforming phrase. And I truthfully, I'm not sure that I ever realized that before. So we pray, lead us not into temptation. I don't know what kind of testing that you are facing at the moment. Or maybe I do for some of you. <laughs> I don't know where, where your line is between learning perseverance and character and leaning on to God and feeling really strongly tempted in the other direction. I don't know that, but you do. So this morning, perhaps as we continue to worship, you might be wanting to say, I feel myself going this way, but I want to go that way. So, Father, I lean into you and I pray that you give me strength in this. It may be that you want to pray with somebody else this morning about some particular situation and just find that support and strength and protection with, with others. Maybe that there are things that you want to pray about this morning. Situations in the world where you see evil at work and you want to pray about that. Pray for Phil and Helen. Pray for the situation in Haiti. Funny, isn't it? We, um, we've just started supporting a little boy through compassion. I know loads of you do that and have been doing it for years and years. It's not... That that's a good thing. It, it, it took us about three days to realise that he lived in Haiti. Suddenly it's personal, isn't it? Well, we don't know where Ronaldo lives. We don't know if he's dead or alive. Changes things, doesn't it? And it may be that we need to be praying deliver us from evil with a bit of passion this morning. We sung at the first service that song from 1987. <laughs> oh Lord, the clouds are gathering. And uh, the final verse of that song, which is massively prophetic actually, says, Yet, O oh Lord, your cross shall stand triumphant in this land, evil confounding. 
Maybe we need to pray a bit of that, actually. Perhaps for ourselves, perhaps for a situation that we're facing. Perhaps for our nation, which goodness only knows what's going on, whatever political view you might take. For America. It's not insignificant, is it? For us, I mean, you know, as well as for the Americans. Maybe we need to pray with a bit of conviction, deliver us from evil. Because if God's church doesn't stand up, who's going to? If we don't pray this prayer, who is going to? No one is. No one is. And I read this morning on the BBC website, completely off-piste at this point, by the way, um, <laughs> that, um, that actually ISIS have now got much less land, ground, than they had a number of months ago. Well, I don't know if any of you here have prayed about that. I suspect you maybe have. Um, I, think, I think maybe I've prayed at the 9.15 about that every single week since, since they started. And then it occurred to me that maybe God might perhaps be answering our prayer. You know, that just dawned on me that that was a possibility. But who else is going to pray, deliver us from evil? So maybe we need to do a bit of that as well. So whether it's personal or whether it's global, let's take the time. You know, if there's sin in your life, just sort it out. It's kind of simple. Don't let it hide. Deal with it. If you know that there's something that you're struggling with in terms of temptation, talk to someone, pray about it, sort it out. Let's not let the devil get foothold in us, in our church community, in our relationships, in this community that we're part of. Deliver us from evil. Amen.